I want to begin this morning by posing what I think is kind of a silly question, but it is pertinent, and that question is, do Christians make good spouses? Do Christians make good spouses? It's a silly question because uh, we would hopefully say, of course they do. Of course they do. At least they should, right? After all, Christians are the people who have the indwelling Spirit of God in them, uh, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. Those are the great things we would look for in a spouse. And yet, sadly and unfortunately, there are times when Christians uh, don't act very Christianly and don't end up making good spouses. Well, thankfully, this morning we can hear from God in First Peter, where we have some instruction given to men and women, encouraging them to live Christianly, to live in a way that would honor Christ, and not only honor Christ, that would be good for them, good for their marriage, and good for the world. As I've mentioned, and I mentioned uh, a while back, that pertinent question, uh, another pertinent question, I should say, uh, is whether or not Christians are good for the world and good for society is a question that was asked in the first century when Christianity started and has been asked ever since. Because sometimes Christians um, think only in terms of eternity and don't focus on their living in the here and now and actually aren't very good for society. We've all heard it said that sometimes people are so heavenly minded they're no earthly good when in fact that shouldn't be the case. We should be so heavenly minded and grateful that we actually are of earthly good. So in First Peter, uh, Peter is encouraging Christians uh, who are one in Christ, who have an eternal destiny secured for them, uh, who are promised glorification, and all of these great things for the future, to still be living in a responsible way in the present. In fact, it says in First Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. And then he says, keep your conduct, your behavior, your actions in marriage, for example, among the Gentiles, the godless, honorable. So live among the godless in an honorable way. And then he goes on to say, so that when they speak against you as evildoers they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So what he is saying there is something rather important and profound and something we need to keep at the forefront of our thinking. When unbelievers say bad things about us, we would want them to not be true. We would want to be living honorable lives uh, and living honorable lives to contradict what they're saying about us, but also that God might use our honorable living, perfect living, no, we don't live the gospel, we proclaim the gospel, but we should live in a way that complements the gospel, honorable living, so that perhaps God might use that to even draw 
unbelievers to Christ so that they would be with us when Christ returns on the day of visitation. We want to have evangelistic living to complement our evangelistic proclamation. And part of that honorable living in verse 13 is to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. From there, Peter talks about governing authorities, as we have seen. Then he talks about work life, as we have seen. And now he's going to talk about our marital life. As I mentioned last time, if you're single, uh, this helps you to know how to pray for those of us who are married. The Bible talks about singleness, and it is an honorable thing. Uh, We're just not talking about that this morning. So please don't feel left out. Uh, You're not... Uh, in any way, shape, or form in this church. But for this morning, we're focusing on married life. Last time we looked at wives, I want to briefly review what it says about wives living honorably, and then we can talk about husbands primarily this morning. Honorable living that complements our profession of faith in Christ. Wives first, beginning in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Likewise, as a follower of Jesus, people who have a certain role in the here and now, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So, be subject to your own husbands. Yes, you are equal with your husband spiritually. Uh, Yes, you have equally been born again. You participate in resurrection with Jesus. You have an eternal inheritance in heaven. It's guarded for you. Uh, You have a place of honor even beyond the prophets of old because they were prophesying about something for you in Christ. They weren't serving themselves. They were serving you if you're a believer this is something that angels are intrigued by, all of this according to 1 Peter chapter 1. And yet, you have a unique role. And your unique role in the family is to follow your husband's leadership. Be subject to your husband, it says. So, yes, saved. Yes, free in Christ. But in the here and now time... Wives, be subject to your husbands. There is order in things. He goes on to say, so that even if some do not obey the word, the gospel word, if you have an unbelieving spouse, is primarily in view, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So again, evangelistic kind of living in the home. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. Exactly how to do this, as I mentioned, I can't tell you, and the text doesn't tell you, that assumes you're doing these things prayerfully. As I mentioned last time, but I want to mention it again, are there limitations to your being subject to your husband? Absolutely, there are limitations. When your husband wants you to do things that are sinful, that would be a limitation. When there's something that's going to cause harm to you, that would be a limitation. That's why we have church government. That's why we have civil government. That's why we have allowances even in the Bible for divorce in certain cases. But let's not focus on those exceptions. Let's be sure to focus on what it actually is saying. 
verse 3 goes on to say, and again, I'm going rather quickly this morning because we've already covered this in detail, so please don't only listen to this out of context. Verse 3 says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of, the, of, the, of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. And we talked about last time that this would be a merely kind of thing instead of a strict prohibition and for good reason, reason I won't get into this morning. Verse 4 then says, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Those are Christ-like qualities, not um, ladylike qualities, which in God's sight is very precious. Verse 5 says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, as I like to jokingly say, but not always with such a joke, notice lower case, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Be subject. Submit to your own husbands. It has to do with a mindset. It has to do with a perspective. We're spiritual equals, but someone needs to be the leader. And in my home, my God has said that my husband is going to be that leader. That's the mindset for Christian wives. And now we come to husbands. I mentioned last time that this was not going to be a bludgeon the husbands session. So I said, men, please come. I want to encourage you. And I really do want to encourage you. As I wanted to encourage wives, I want to encourage husbands. Why? Because we want to have a good testimony. Because we want unbelievers to see that Christians don't make bad spouses. They make good spouses. And that our profession of faith is complemented by our conduct, not contradicted by our conduct. So wherever your marriage is now, I want to help you by reminding you, by informing you what the Bible says so that you can live in your home for the glory of God in a way that you may not have been able to in the past. Maybe because of things you didn't know or perhaps needed to be reminded of. So husbands, here we go. Likewise. Likewise because you're a Christian. Likewise because there is order that is ordained by God. Likewise, husbands. Live with your wives in an understanding way. What an important assignment Husbands, that you're called by God to live with your wife in an understanding way. And I don't need to tell any of you that women and men are different. Or, maybe I do. I've met enough men and done enough marriage counseling to know that I actually have to tell you men, or at least some men, the obvious, the patently obvious. 
men and women are different. Sometimes we men have it in our minds that men and women aren't different. And it leads to all kinds of trouble. I'm gaining traction at being a better husband if I start by acknowledging and recognizing in a good way that my wife is different than I am. Live with your wives in an understanding way. But notice that it's not just a matter of of saying, well, I just don't understand women. I can't leave it there. I, I, I might say, I just don't understand women, but, but, but I can't leave it there. Men and women are different, but I'm called by God as a husband to live, by the way, not with all women in a, an understanding way, to live with my wife in an understanding way. Men, you need to understand your wife. To know her, he uses the word for knowing. Gnosis. Know your wife. Not all wives or all women in general. Yes, there may be commonalities that many women share or many wives share. But in particular, he's saying live with your wife. In an understanding way. Know your wife. It's a careful word. To know your wife. I am no marriage expert, as my wife Molly can confirm with a hearty amen. But I have been practicing knowing my wife for 27 years. And I know that she's exactly like me in that she is an heir of eternity in Christ. Identical. But I also know that she, in her living in the here and now time, is different than I am. And so I need to be focused on knowing her understanding her, and part of that is knowing that the two of us are different. And I'm not to oppose the difference. I'm actually to complement the difference, and part of the way I complement the difference is by knowing her. Men, it is really important that we, we understand this about understanding our wives. The Bible does not call us, it does not call you to know the role of your wife. It doesn't say that, but we make the mistake oftentimes at thinking we can know her role and that somehow is what the Bible is calling us to do. And the Bible isn't calling us to know her role And that's the key to a good marriage. It doesn't say that. Know your wife. Understand the role. Sure, that's good, but understand her. And boy, if we can simply get to that point, we can make some great headway and have more success. I'm called to know her. 
Especially, uh, it seems to me, oftentimes it starts when we're young Christians and sometimes we don't get past it. We think we're just supposed to know what she's supposed to do. No, I'm to know her. It's personal. It involves care and concern. It's not enough to know that there is a difference. It's to know her. Men, this means engagement. You're living with her. You're dwelling with her. You're engaged with her. Not disengaged. A huge problem for us is the disengagement. It was a huge problem in the garden and it's been a huge problem ever since. Engaging. This means studying, we could say. Reading, we could say. Certainly listening. I'm not telling you you can't have a man cave. But I am saying that we'd better be careful about our retreating and our caving, if you will. Don't get me wrong, I love to be alone. I'm in so many ways a loner. I need to be a loner to do what I do. I love to be alone to read. I love to be alone to study. I love to be alone to exercise. I love to be alone in so many different ways. But I'm called to live with my wife. I'm called to dwell with my wife. That means time with my wife. So that I can know my wife. I mentioned studying, reading, listening. Isn't it interesting? Those are the things I love to do alone, and they're also things I'm called to do regarding my wife, if I'm going to know her. Verse 7 goes on to say, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Knowing her, with her, this is honoring her. And then he calls her the weaker vessel. I think it's important that we all acknowledge that both men and women are weak. According to Genesis chapter 2, man was weak, so he needed a helper. We're just weak in different ways. And I'm not one to criticize the work of translators. I think we have wonderful English translations at our fingertips. But I would like to translate this a little bit different. Instead of showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, I would offer a synonym, and that would be delicate instead of weak. But the delicater vessel probably doesn't sound very good, does it? Vessels, the image he uses, vessels are containers. And he's, he's using contain, a, a container image, a metaphor, a word picture, likening a wife to a weaker container. How about a more delicate container? And now we maybe have a better picture that's more positive. 
think of a vase, or if your wife prefers, since you're living with her in an understanding way, a a more delicate vase. The ordinary men apparently here were the ordinary. We cont- we we were the rough and tumble. We carry everyday kind of things like water or maybe even waste. But the wife, she is more like the vase, something special, something that needs to be handled with greater care. I need to think of my wife that way. One person translated it, considerate understanding. There's a, there's a gentleness, there's a special kind of care. And by the way, I, I want to say to wives, if, if you're offended by me saying delicate, uh, fragile, like a vase, if that's offensive to you, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry for what the Word of God says, but I want you to know I'm trying to help your marriage. I'm trying to be thoughtful. And I'm trying to encourage your husband to see you in a way that is honorable. That you might have a better family life. Generally speaking, women are weaker than men. Generally speaking. Is that what he's getting at here? Certainly he's getting at the fact that there is a difference of some kind. We could talk about emotions. We could talk about other things. I'm not going to go further than the text says, but I am going to say there's a call for a tenderness. A, again, considerate understanding. And then he gives an explanation as to why this is so. Look at verse 7 with me, if you would, where it says, since they are heirs, think inheritors, heirs with you, husbands, of the grace of life. He's talking about mindset. This is how you need to be thinking. He talked about mindset earlier in our in, in our text. Here it's mindset. You need to be thinking of her. How are you going to accomplish seeing her as delicate, as, as one who needs to be handled with, with exceptional care? Well, the mindset is you've got to see her as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Yes, she's different. Yes, she has different desires. But how can you then not go into conflict mode with her? Well, you're going to be remembering, having a mindset that she is a fellow heir and a fellow heir of the grace of life. And that will fuel this. That will inform this. That will motivate this. Fellow heir of the grace of life. Treat your wife in a certain way in light of who she is in Christ. I think he's got eternal life in view here. Eternal life. Treat her as an heir of eternal life. And notice it's the grace of eternal life. That's critical and important because you've received your heirship men. You've received the promise of eternal life by grace, not by deserving. And Likewise, your wife has received her heirship of eternal life by grace. And if you could remember that, you can treat her in such a way 
that is not based upon what you think she deserves because somehow she's the perfect wife. No, it's because she's an heir and she became an heir just like you became an heir freely according to grace, not because you deserved it. And if you can think in those terms, you will treat her in this special, extraordinary, respectful way regardless of her behavior, regardless of her actions in the here and now. I would venture to say that the greatest problem in marriages, it's not the only problem, but the greatest problem in counseling experiences I've had relate to this matter. We think as husbands and wives that we should do what the Bible says once our spouse does what the Bible says. When in fact, or let me put it another way, husbands so many times think, I'm going to do the right thing when my wife does the right thing. Or reverse it. I can continue to be a jerk of a husband because my wife's not doing what she's supposed to be doing as a wife. When in reality, the Bible says, this is what men are supposed to be and do, and this is what women are supposed to be and do as spouses, and it's not conditioned upon the other's behavior. Treat your wife in this careful, knowing way that is honoring to her because she is a fellow heir of the grace of life. She is who she is by the grace of God, just like you are who you are by the grace of God, and treat her that way regardless of whether or not you think she has lived up to whatever standard. If we could think this way in our marriages, we would see fruitfulness. We would see great success. We would see the honoring of Christ. We talk about being gospel-centered and remember the God, remembering the gospel and all of these sorts of things. This is what we mean. I didn't deserve salvation and I received it. I'm so thankful. And as I can remember that and then watch my wife or treat my wife in a certain way, it won't be based upon how she's acting. Continuing with our explanation, he gives some really important insight in verse 7 at the end there where it says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. It's fascinating, isn't it? We do this so that our prayers may not be hindered. What's that about? It's probably less mechanistic than we might observe. He seems to be getting at this. Our number one relationship in all the world as Christians is with God, right? And our expression of that close relationship that we have with God because of Jesus, our, our, our simple, most natural expression of it is prayer. We talk to God. We make our needs known to Him. We, 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 he, he's not against us. He's our friend. We, we, we have this relationship and, and the simple, most profound and most basic expression is we talk to Him. 
we pray. And what do we see here? Peter says that your relationship with your spouse is so important that you shouldn't think for a second that you can be a jerk in your home, let's put it in good man terms, and have everything be fine between you and God. It just isn't so. It just isn't so. If your wife is a Christian, you're a Christian, you're fellow heirs, and you certainly should be treating her like she's a fellow heir. And if you're not, then your relationship, your understanding is convoluted, and certainly then your, your even understanding and your relationship with God Himself is convoluted. You don't really get it. You don't really understand what it means to, to, to have eternal life by grace. Live in a way that complements your profession of faith and doesn't contradict your profession of faith. I want to say one more thing about this as a little bit of an aside, but it's an important related aside. And then we'll close. There is some discussion regarding our text here and the knowing your wife as to whether or not he's talking about physical intimacy. And I'll keep things at a a PG or or, um, G level. Most commentators think that's not That's not first and foremost what he has in view in this instruction. Live with your wife in an understanding way, in a physical intimacy sort of way. And most commentators don't think that's primarily what's in view. It's life in general. And so I would be in agreement with that. I, I don't think he's only talking about bedroom things. But let's be sure to include that also. The reason there is discussion uh, in commentaries about this is because sometimes that's uh, the, the verbiage that's used. So-and-so knew his wife, and it's talking about physical intimacy. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, in a knowing way. Men, husbands, when it comes to that aspect of your relationship, you should be seeing your wife as the fragile, special vase that she is. She's not just like you. And that difference is to be respected and honored as it has been spelled out and designated by God that she is different. And you've been called to understand her even as a different person. And men, if you can do this, and you've been called by God to do this, you will see that your marriage is better because this is God's design. So do keep that in mind to honor your wife even in that realm, and treat her honorably. 
a great quotation regarding all of these things that we've been considering today is this. Marriage is a union of two weak and sinful people, even if we are weak and sinful in different ways. May God help us to have marriages that are fruitful and growing, reflecting our understanding of the grace and mercy shown to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this good instruction that comes to us. I pray for the men and women who are married at Omaha Bible Church that they would continue to meditate upon and understand and grow in their knowledge of the work of Christ and salvation that comes to us freely by your grace and that that understanding would help us greatly in our homes, that we would show grace to one another and mercy to one another and that we would understand that there are differences in our roles and that we would see marriages that are complementary of one another as husband and wife and that certainly complement the gospel and don't contradict the gospel. Encourage us, Lord, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.